Welcome to episode 89 of the Girl About the Globe podcast. In this episode, I'm joined by Karen Edwards. Karen is a writer and editor who specialises in responsible tourism, and she joins me to discuss her brand new book, The Responsible Traveller, and how we can become better travellers. If you're unsure how to be a responsible traveller, or even what that really means, this episode is for you. Stay tuned. Welcome to Girl About the Globe, a podcast for you as a solo female traveller, empowering women to travel solo with maximum adventure, minimum impact. Welcome to a dose of inspiration for the solo traveller. Today I'm joined by Karen Edwards, author of a brand new book called The Responsible Traveller. Karen is a writer and editor who specialises in responsible tourism, sustainable living and emotional well-being. She writes for a variety of national and international titles, including High Life by British Airways, Breathe, Gracia, Metro, The Independent, The Telegraph and Time Out. And today she's joining me to discuss responsible travel. Hi, Karen. Thanks for joining me today. Hi, Lisa. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're welcome. I can't wait to start talking about responsible travel and to get your advice on changes that we can make. But just before we dive into how we can make the world a better place, can you just tell us a bit about you and how you became a travel journalist? Absolutely. So um, interestingly, my my background is in entertainment journalism. Um, so I started off at teen magazines like Smash Hits um, when just out of uni. So I did my I did journalism at university, um, did a lot of work experience at teen magazines and started off in the industry um, through that. Um, spent about seven years um, focusing on entertainment and just very gradually as my my taste change changed and I grew up um, I started writing more about my travels um, which was something I'd been doing since I was a teenager I was backpacker I'd done the usual traveler routes of Southeast Asia and all that kind of thing um, and just as I got more into it as an adult um, I found that I was naturally writing about those experiences um, so yeah as I gained more experience um, I started being hired and commissioned to write about travel um, and as a travel expert and um, that sort of led me into focusing on travel in a bigger way um, so that's how I got here. That's fantastic and congratulations on your brand new book The Responsible Traveller and that must be so exciting to actually see that published. It is thank you so much it, it's incredible it's been brewing in my mind that topic is constantly in my mind and it's been brewing for a long time um, and it just sort of came together very naturally out of a collection of experiences and things I'd read about and um, seen for myself and um, it's amazing to have it a physical copy in my hand and know the sort of thought process and, and the ideas that went into it. Oh, fantastic. So what was your journey into sustainable and ethical travel? I know you said before that you've been backpacking and you're a travel journalist. Was yeah. There a specific point that made you realise that you wanted to learn more about how we can travel better? Um, it wasn't necessarily a specific point, but I guess a collection of experiences that um, brought me to this realisation that I wanted to be a better traveller myself. Um, so as I said, I, I started off as a backpacker. And when you're a backpacker, you're very carefree. You're thinking very much about your own experience of travel yeah. and you're very centred in that experience. Um, and 
it probably comes with growing up as well. Um, as I started doing travel journalism, so travel was a part of my job as well as my pleasure um, or my getaway from real life. Um, I started exploring more remote places. I, you know, I, I kind of ate to see things that other people didn't see. So I broke away from those sort of more classic routes that you do when you're younger and um, sort of looked for new adventures that were probably not the norm for a lot of people. And as I did that, I guess I, I came face to face with um, more sort of, I had a bit of a reality check in all honesty. Um, I, I was realizing that not everywhere benefits from travel and mm. actually tourism doesn't necessarily bring, you know, wholly good. It's not all about that tourist income to places. Um, and. I, I spend a lot of time my partner is actually a marine biologist so I actually spend a lot of time in the water and explore exploring wildlife and ecosystems I've learned a lot through him as well and again um, sort of seeing the impacts of climate change and you know the climate crisis that we're currently going through and that's very much at the forefront of everyone's minds yeah. um, seeing that on um, especially oceans but just generally ecosystems environments around the world made me think you know whatever I'm doing I want to be better at it so that I can preserve these places I can I can be a part of the generation that looks after these places because it they're, they're disappearing before our eyes and it was it was actually going back to a few of my favorite places so I've been fortunate enough to go back to Antarctica a few times amazing um, um, and it was going back over the space of about five years um, or even longer, six years, that made me um, see the differences, see how, how much further south you had to go to find those um, icy areas where certain penguin species accumulate and build their colonies. Things like that made me realise, you know, the world is changing in my generation, in my, in my real time, and I'm seeing those differences. And whatever I'm doing, whether it's at home or whether I'm travelling, I want to be better. Um, and if I want to be better, then maybe, maybe we all sort of want that, but just don't know how to do it. Um, and that's kind of where the sort of idea came from. How, how can I make this more accessible to people in the same way we think about carrying keep cups and, you know, carrying reusable water bottles? Can we be more conscious when we're traveling? Um, and that, that's where it started really. And that sort of path took me down. Uh, well, made me realise that I'd actually seen quite a lot through my travels that actually help sort of cement that idea in my head that it's worth talking about. Um, and I just started writing notes and um, and talking more about it. I got commissioned for articles. People were interested in it and knew it was important. And um, as that became more of a talking point, I thought, okay, let's let's do something a bit bigger with this. What was it actually like working on a, a expedition ship? Because I know you just mentioned that you've been in Antarctica a few times. You also worked in Papua New Guinea as, as well. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, um, it, it's one ship actually um, with one company, and um, they're essentially an expedition ship is a small cruise ship, but they t carry about hundred to one hundred fifty people mo at most, and they go to quite isolated places that you don't. Uh, don't typically see on on sort of um, holiday brochures and uh, usual itineraries um, and the focus of an expedition ship is that it is more like an adventure or an expedition program um, so they they hire 
experts, scientists, historians, um, environmental e- experts to talk about those environments or the cultures that you're seeing along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was on a team like that, um, which was fantastic. Um, and I got to learn about these places, but also educate the people who were coming out on these trips um, about what they were seeing. And the whole idea is to enrich um, enrich the guests with this real world knowledge so they fully could immerse in the cultures they were witnessing so that they could, you know, fully appreciate the wildlife they were seeing and the sort of ecosystem that sits around that. And it was a really inspiring job. It was an incredible job to have. Um, but it also, I guess, put me face to face with these environments where I realised tourism does impact both um, environments and communities, I was seeing it in real time as bigger ships came in around us or even even with small groups of people, I was seeing that it meant a lot of work had to go into local local communities to sort of look after these ships and they depend on that income so much that, you know, everything sort of um, depends on that day when the ship comes in. And again, that if that was sort of brewing in my head about the the moral sort of compass behind that you know whether whether it's a good thing to have have ships come in in this way um what kind of impact if it's positive what kind of impact is that and does it outweigh the negative um mm. and all all of that was a part of my journey really to get here um and it it really in terms of wildlife and environment it really brought to the brought to the front forefront of my mind how how the world was changing in terms of tourism how 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 much of a commodity the environment has become in our experiences and that's just not good enough anymore we we've got to start doing better really yeah you're absolutely right just listening to what you were saying then I was actually just thinking about the COVID-19 pandemic and whether you've noted any changes from before that to how tourism is now because I think in, in a, on a positive it gave us a, a good opportunity to do things better this time around and I'm hoping that we haven't reverted back to old habits that are causing more um, destruction than positive impact I don't know what your thoughts are on that I, I, I think you're right to be honest I, I think it gave us that pause to reset and really examine what we do and how we sort of look at our lives it was you know such a natural thing because we were all in this together this really tough two years of our lives um and all over the world people were going through that in different ways and I think we we actually realized you know we're not untouchable we're we're not invincible we you know we can't just keep sort of burning through life the way we want to all the time without thinking about the impact around us and I really hope that that has carried on as we're we're sort of slowly coming out of this pandemic obviously COVID is still around and it's still something to think about Um, but as we do sort of find our way out of you know the craziness of the last two years I do think people want to do things differently it's a case of needing a bit maybe needing a bit of help and a bit of direction and guidance into how to do things differently because inevitably you know the pressure and stress of life does get in the way we're only human and uh, you know we've got families to think about look after making sure the kids are looked after when you're on holiday um 
there are so many other aspects to you know needing to be a little bit um you know concerned with our own experiences but at the same time i do think just naturally we we are a bit more we're coming out of this a bit more caring and a bit more considerate so if we can keep that in mind as we book our next holidays as we plan our next trips that would be amazing yeah so true i think you're absolutely right there people are definitely becoming a bit more conscious and it's about habits isn't it and making it easy which is what I really like about your book because you have checklists so you do give actionable steps to make people a bit more thoughtful about the way that they travel which is great how do you think some of the countries in the world are dealing with tourism are there any destinations that stand out for you as being eco-friendly absolutely I think Generally, I think there is a lot of pressure on governments, uh, on tourist boards to um, talk about sustainable travel policies now. So you'll find a lot of people, a lot of places are making an effort, like taking steps towards it. But um, there are a couple of places I have to say that um, I've mentioned in the book, but I, I do talk about a lot when I talk about responsible travel. And the first one is Costa Rica. Um, I've, I've experienced what they've done there. I, I was there just before the pandemic. And um, I, I just find how much, um, just generally, if you if you go with a tour, tour guide or a tour operator, they will absolutely rave about their ecosystems there and how precious they are, how much they want to take care of the rainforests, the wildlife. You know, everyone's an advocate within the country and that really comes across. Um, And I I just think they're fantastic. Their ethic is fantastic. And that was the case before the pandemic. But I know now um, they're already, I think, as a sort of 98% renewable energy um, use in everyday life. So not even just on tourism, just in the everyday living. Um, So, and they're obviously aiming for net zero at some point soon. So just the fact that they're already thinking in those terms and already aiming for that makes me think that, that, you know, they take their responsibility as a country seriously and they really value their, the environment around them. They want to take care of it. And, um, I mean, that's that's just fantastic. So I want to support places like that. And I think if you're looking for a, um, a long haul or you're looking to sort of go somewhere a bit different, somewhere tropical, somewhere where you can be amongst nature, that is a good place to look at because you know that they are already thinking in that way, in a, in a big way, um, and you're supporting something positive. So hopefully the money that you're spending on that trip, that if, if you can go through a local operator, will actually be going through some to something positive. Um, and the other place that really sticks in my mind, again, I was there before, just before the pandemic, was Bhutan. Um, oh, amazing place. Yeah. Incredible place. Just just so beautiful absolutely beautiful Mm. and what they do is quite interesting it's a very different sort of tourism model but they ask every tourist who's traveling there to pay a set nightly fee I think it's something like 275 US dollars at the moment per person and that covers absolutely everything you do on that day 
Um, so if you're there for 10 days, you pay 10 times 275 per person. And um, with that, you get your own personal tour guide, you get transport, you get your meals covered, you get your hotels covered, and you get your activities covered. And you can go through a local operator and then book the itinerary that you wish to see. You know, you can do your own research and say, these are the places I want to go. And they will help put that together within that sort of framework. And it's it's a strange one because I think if you're an adventurer and you sort of you know everyone sort of wants that independence and um, you know what need to travel on their own terms. But actually, what what they have done here is create create this um, incredible income from the tourists coming in that actually can go directly back into public infrastructure. So I think it's something like, they say something like 37% goes towards public healthcare, education and infrastructure towards, you know, making the tourism model better. And to know that your money is actually directly benefiting the communities that you are, you know, meeting along the way, that's fantastic. And it, and it shows a real ethic by the government to um, you know, not take that money and big build bigger hotels, but actually take that money and put it back into the community. And um, that's something I found while we were there. They they were very um, concerned with maintaining that local tradition and culture. So they they aren't very um, big on building chain hotels and things like that. I think they might have one um, chain hotel in in the whole place which is amazing everything else is sort of built on um local customs local standards and um benefits you know has local workers and everything like that so it's it's actually quite incredible that they've managed that considering Bhutan I don't know if you know was um closed to tourism for a very long time it didn't actively didn't encourage tourism and suddenly like they've just come up with this really you know probably most sustainable model um for moving forward so um it's interesting to see where that goes I hope it stays as um or it remains as sort of pure and as um well thought out as it started off um and obviously time will tell, but it's a, I just think it's a lovely way of making sure that money goes back into the right places. Definitely. I went to Bhutan about eight years ago, actually, and it was $250 at the time per day. So they haven't increased it that much, which is, which is really good. And that's re- really reassuring. That's fantastic. Yeah. And I'm normally an independent traveler, but it was really nice just being taken around. I was there for three nights. And it just felt very cultural and I really got to experience the heritage and it was one of the most peaceful countries that I've ever been to and it was just really refreshing and I recommend it to people because there's not that many people that I know that have actually been there but it's just such a gorgeous, charming place that as you say at the moment is doing, doing the right sustainable model. Absolutely. You used two words there, peaceful and charming. That's exactly how I describe <laughs> it too. Um, I, I went with my husband um, just before, like I said, just before the pandemic. And we had, I think we had 10 days there. And um, we we just had our own private guide. So every, everything I saw, I could ask all the questions that yeah. I wanted to ask and, you know, get real answers, get real understanding. And then through that, he introduced us to friends. He introduced us to um, like locals that we came across and we'd sit down and have a chat with them. And then they'd invite us back to their house for dinner. So we oh, did wow. we did some really cool stuff. We went 
celebrate a random birthday party <laughs> of an old man that we met along the way. And they taught us um, some of their dances that, you know, they dance around their cooking pot and have like a amazing food, foodie celebration at home. And we got to be a part of that. We got to learn the dance routines and um, sing along. Like I didn't know any, any of the words and they were sort of teaching me the words as I went. So really beautiful place, beautiful people. And um it gives you the opportunity of doing it in that really special way of um, really getting underneath the sort of skin mm. of of the country and doing it more in more of a um, in in a way where you're actually learning and you're actually experiencing what that country is about. Um, and yeah, I guess that's just another level travel experience for me. Yeah, you've just hit the nail on the head for me as well. I think for me, when I travel, it's about the immersive cultural experiences, which you, which you only really get when you meet local people. And yeah. in your in your book, you take the social impacts on communities very seriously and as seriously as the environmental impacts. So, what would you say are the social impacts of tourism across the globe? And can you talk a bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so. Tourism, I mean, when we think about tourism and what it brings um, different communities, we think about how prosperous it can be for an economy. And that's absolutely true. It can really boost the economy. And as the industry grows, that can only get better. But that income mostly and sadly often goes to big chain providers or even government um government hotels or government restaurants rather than the communities themselves so rather than the people who are putting in the hard work so there's always two sides to the coin when you think about you know the benefits and the not so great side of it um yes it creates more job tourism does provide a lot more jobs but they're often low paid and seasonal jobs so it doesn't really offer long-term security um and i can i can sort of vouch for that with my um my experience on expedition ships um that that isn't a year-round job that's not something you can do um no matter what and the um, pandemic really taught the people who work on ships that that you know suddenly their their income completely stopped um and that would have been on the other side too of the people who you know the ships were going to they wouldn't have seen any income from tourism um so it, you know there are different sides to it and that it can be quite uh, quite hard hitting if you're not on the on the positive side um it you know tourism brings in new infrastructure yes and that often has to accommodate the demand um the busier a place gets but it can also demolish current infrastructure that is actually catered to the people who live there and need that security so while tourists might have you know, endless options for rental accommodation, for example, the people who live in those communities are probably being pushed out because they they are not able to afford those kind of prices. Um, and again, that leads to like hike, hike prices for tourists on everything in everyday goods and food, um, yeah. whereas that becomes unaffordable for locals. Um, and then I guess the westernization of local traditions that's why Bhutan is great because it hasn't really been infiltrated by West, the West, is it? Like you're saying, there's only one international hotel that you know of there. And I love it when a place really keeps its culture and its heritage like that. Exactly. I, and I think that's one of their main um, targets is to keep doing that. They really, they really, really value their cultural roots and they don't want that to change. So they do take care to... Um, 
I guess, really inform people who are booking the trips through local operators that this is what they're going to come across. They are going to really experience culture. And are they happy with that? And, you know, if if you're trying to go on holiday to sit in a pub the whole time, that's not why you go to Bhutan, essentially. So, (laughs) you know, that you kind of get that out of the way first. So you know what you're going to experience. So the people who do go to see Bhutan go with the right mindset. Um, And that is that's really important. But, yeah, unfortunately, in a lot of places, tourism can can modify those cultures, modify Mm -hmm. traditions, westernize them to suit the visitor experience so it's not too uncomfortable for the visitor because they might not understand what's going on or and so on and um unfortunately that ends up diluting the culture naturally um for the people who actually live there so yeah it, i mean there are a lot of social impacts and a lot of them aren't necessarily good even though they might look positive on the outside in regards to what you were saying about locals being priced out are you talking in regards of um, platforms such as Airbnb? Yes, I guess so. And um, Airbnb, and but ge- general sort of rental, rental accommodation, general uh, hotels and resorts as well. I think, um, you know, if you go to a tourist hub, I suppose, like a main city in particular, you'll find that um, much, much, you know, it's similar in London, really. People, local people don't tend to live in that central hub and they get gradually as tourism becomes a bigger deal and there needs to be bigger um, more room for rental accommodation like Airbnb you do get pushed out a little bit Um, and that's got to be really hard because Mm. essentially you know that is your home that is your security and something I mentioned in the book actually is one of the biggest things we can do as a responsible traveler is to look at the places we pick as our holiday destinations, not as destinations, but as someone else's home, someone else's identity, someone else's security, just as we value our home in that way. There are people who value those places in that way. So while they, they might be our perfect, you know, place to go on holiday, um, they still have this, deeper more significant meaning to someone else and we need to respect that in that same way so I guess um it is sad to know that people get priced out of those regions um and I guess uh, one of the solutions uh, we talk about in the book is that um if you if you feel you do need to go to a place which is a bit more like that maybe sort of an example is Barcelona for example which is very yeah. heavy, you know it's known for to suffer from over tourism there are huge numbers of cruise ships and land tourists that come in every single day and as a result people have been priced out so is there something we can do about that yeah we could make a real effort if you do need to visit Barcelona and you feel that's a must on your holiday list fine go and visit it but stay outside you know stay in the suburbs stay in smaller more remote areas outside and travel in for a day rather than you know pick one of the big hotels in there um, and give your custom give your everyday custom your uh, meals your um souvenir shopping all that kind of thing to the smaller areas of local locals who could really do with that money coming in great tips I used to live in Barcelona and I've stayed in Badalona which is about 
half an hour maximum just outside of Barcelona. Uh-huh. It's very local and it's a really great place to stay. And like you say, you can just get the train and just go back into the city. But I've seen quite a lot of change in the two years that I was there in, in Barcelona and the locals weren't happy with the over-tourism and the cruise ships and being priced out due to people buying up the apartments and the yeah. rent that they were able to pay was nowhere near what um, tourists were were able to pay. So, yeah, it was yeah. a huge problem in Barcelona. I think in Venice as well, they had a similar problem, didn't they? A lot of the locals no longer though now live in Venice. That's right, yeah. Um, I think it was a very, very similar problem, actually. And um, I do think they sort of, I think the sort of mayor tried to deal with it in a well, tried to sort of control the numbers coming in, number of tourists coming in a little bit, um, and put uh, I think maybe a day tax on coming into the city. Um, but I'm not sure if that has lasted, to be honest. And it's probably a little too late um, for the people who've been affected by it, unfortunately. And that's the thing; like we don't really know the impact until it is a little too late. Um, so I'm hoping if we can sort of be a bit more conscious when we're preparing for our trip, when we're picking the places that we go to, um, we can help take that pressure off before it even happens. And if enough of us are doing that, can we actually make a difference? Maybe. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah. Um, yeah. That one person <laughs> makes a difference and then it kind of causes a bit of a ripple effect I think I hope that's what I want to think yeah absolutely I agree um I do think if if enough people are thinking in the right way and um trying to make a difference it can it can make a difference absolutely and it's just about being mindful isn't it mindful of what actions we take and of um the impact that we're going to make and who we can book through so you touched upon accommodation there how do you also feel about different modes of transport? So getting to the actual destination, because you mentioned cruise ships as well. And I'd be interested to get your take on cruise ships and also about the carbon emissions in flying. What are your thoughts on those two subjects? Absolutely. So um, getting to a destination, I think for each individual traveller is going to be different. So, you know, we all have holiday leave that we can take, holiday allowances. Um, We all have different, um, I guess, personal situations. Maybe we're travelling with family, maybe we're backpacking. Um, it's, It's all very dependent, isn't it? But I would say if there's absolutely any way where you can travel over land, then that would be amazing. And I think I think a part of that is reframing the way we see the holiday as not just getting to that final place and you know switching off completely but making making your holiday about that journey getting there um so essentially cut um that sort of leads me into flying first I'll talk about flying first um uh, interestingly aviation contributes about 2.5 percent of global carbon emissions which might seem like a small number in the grand scheme of things but actually when you look into it it seems about six percent of the global population traveled by plane so that 2.5 percent is coming from a very small percentage of us really um and when you look at it like that that means a very small percentage of us and i guess essentially the people who are the most regular travelers um by plane are sort of contributing to that um, carbon emission um, status and that number. So, 
as a regular traveler, I feel like for me personally, I feel like I actively want to reduce that carbon footprint that I, I'm creating. And if that is possible, you know, how is that possible? Okay, I could I could maybe say I'm going to take one long haul a year, one plane flight a year to a destination that's further away, that's harder to get to over land. And then the rest, I'm going to make it my mission to get to by land. Yeah. Um, and that can make, t- mean taking the train. It can main, mean taking a bus. Um, ferries are fantastic these days, especially around Europe when you're trying to get to either the mainland or across to Ireland. I've done that a few times in the last couple of years. And that has been absolute godsend and a really fun adventure it makes it really exciting to get get to the other side that that whole process it's beautiful and obviously if you've got a weather like we're having in the UK at the moment it makes it all the more fun um train rides are just magical because you take the slow you know slow eerie like wander through the incredible countrysides of the places you're going through um and you can jump off anywhere along the way so mm-hmm. you know that that end destination doesn't need to be the only place you visit you can have a few stops along the way and you know get a few different experiences which is always exciting kids love trains um that's what I see in my godsons they can't wait to get on a train they can't wait to get on a ferry so you know it's it there are some other ways to have fun with those travel experiences if you're not taking flights and I think that's something if you if you are a regular traveler and at the moment you do take a lot of flights that's something to really consider going forward is how you can switch that to maybe having having a lovely long one flight a year holiday but equally making the effort to not travel by plane the rest of the time um and together with that carbon emissions um it's actually really interesting because a lot of uh, airlines now offer um anyone booking a flight to be able to offset their carbon emissions either um i think sometimes domestically they they do it automatically um or they ask you to pay a certain fee um to do this and i'm not even sure if people fully understand what offsetting carbon em- um emissions are um i, I people probably don't to be honest no and i didn't for a really long time too so um Essentially, carbon emissions comes from calculating the emissions for your journey and for um, that's essentially a return flight for most people. Um, And when you do that, that then um, sort of equals carbon credits and that can be put into a project specified by an airline. and that could be sort of an environmental project. It could be a social project, some a charity project that is done locally in various places around the world. Their choice. That's not something necessarily that you choose, um, although there are separate ways you could do that independently. And it's putting money towards basically that charity to say, I'm taking this flight. This is the kind of carbon emission level that I'm anticipating from this flight that I'm going to put a monetary value on that and I'm going to put it into a charity elsewhere which is a lovely thing to do anyway um those generally those charities exist for a reason and that's that's still like a really lovely thing to do but it doesn't cancel the fact that there are carbon emissions being emitted into the air into the atmosphere right now from that plane and it doesn't change the sort of uh 
crisis that we're in right now that doesn't change where we're heading with climate change um so while it is a very well-intentioned scheme it doesn't negate the damage that we're causing um and while i wouldn't wouldn't ever say don't um do not offset your carbon emissions because in the long term that can make a difference wherever whatever you're putting that money into can make a difference um the only way to really negate the carbon emissions from a from a flight is to not take that flight for that flight not to exist for the demand to not be there so essentially it's going back to flying less if you can fly less do that that's the number one way to um to lower your carbon footprint and then on top of that when you do take a long haul or you, you know whatever minimum amount you need to fly then if you can offset your carbon emissions then please do right yeah that's what I do actually and I normally either plant a tree yeah. or a few trees or I donate it to a local project in that country but I'm glad you said that because I didn't really know um what it meant to be honest so I'm glad that you've enlightened us with that description it's quite a strange um concept really um because it it usually goes to something that's quite unrelated to actually flying and you know that that sort of activity that you're about to do um so it's worth thinking about it's worth worth i really fully um encourage people to read up on it and actually understand the premise of uh, offsetting your emissions so that you you can get your head around it um it's quite a strange and complicated thing um but essentially flying less <laughs> is is a better option mm-hmm. um in the long run and um and you mentioned cruise ships as yes. well lisa um so cruise ships are very interesting um they are also quite um detrimental to the environment in different ways um as well as just generally the general premise of a cruise ship is it's it's luxurious there are a lot of um facilities on board and can it can be quite uh carbon intensive in that way um so my my suggestion have you know having worked on small cruise ships is that if you are determined to take a cruise or you you've always dreamt of taking a cruise don't be put off it completely but do your research before you book your cruise and go with a company that has a good sustainable travel policy um and generally that means the smaller the ship the better um first of all and that's because a smaller ship naturally will have a minimal environmental impact and a minimal social impact there's fewer people there's fewer um you know need for facilities on board and generally when those people go on land as well you're having a smaller impact on land um and yeah picking a cruise line with genuine sustainable policy is really important and that can often come from um a local operator so rather than go for the big name companies try and find someone local to the area you want to visit who is you know ba- literally based off the shores of that place and um if that's say the mediterranean then maybe you can make that into a holiday where you travel over land to get there so you're doing it in the most sustainable way as well um so there are you know there are ways to cruise in in a better way um and generally if if they've got new ships if you're looking at a company that has new ships coming out um they are also going to be more um environmentally friendly just as technology develops so looking out on websites looking at sustainable policy is the best way to pick um the most responsible cruise going forward 
And yeah, the smaller, the smaller, the better, really, I would say. Essentially, with all aspects of travel, so hotels, uh, cruise ships, obviously, we've talked about flying and um, airlines. Everyone is aware, everyone across the industry is aware that they need to be making steps towards more sustainable policy. But not everyone is getting it right. Um, So I think um, whoever you're looking at, whatever the brand, however well known it is, it's really healthy to really examine what they're saying and what they're claiming to make sure that it's actually real world um, improvements that they're making and you know to look at the results as well if they've been running for a while are are they actually living up to what um, what they claim to do and with cruise ships um, across the board there are actually reports that you can read online um, that are done by independent bodies um, to show whether they are sort of meeting those standards that they claim to claim to achieve so um you know whoever it is that you're traveling with or whoever it wherever you want to go in the world there will there there will be a report sort of to look at look at the environmental impact of that so it's worth i mean it takes a bit of time it takes a bit of dedication and a bit of research but if you're interested in um taking it one step forward you know further and really doing your research then there are reports like that out there where you can study um the best cruise lines or the best airlines to go with great tips and do you have any more tips for someone who would like to travel more responsibly but they're unsure how to do it Yes, we've covered quite a a few of them here. Mm. Um, My first one will always be fly less, always. Um, But mainly it's it's to take that time to do a little bit more research and pick somewhere that isn't currently dealing with the effects of over-tourism or for that matter, really, human human rights abuses um, or government corruption. and if you can choose a place where you can travel over land to, fantastic. That that can make the um, whole premise of travel so much more exciting if you're considering the journey as a part of your experience. Um, and research the place in advance so you know what to expect in a cultural sense um, so that you know if there are any religious or cultural festivals going on, for example, when you get there. And if so, what the best way to dress would be, what what you could can and can't eat or drink when you're there, uh, when you're taking part in those um, events are. Um, so you're not left surprised, but you're left ready for it. And when you get there, do be up for taking part do be up for you know going and having a dance and tasting new foods and um just having a chat with people take a phrase book um google translate is fantastic for you know really quick translations on the go um and do interact as much as possible because it it absolutely changes your experience and you i always feel like when i have that kind of an experience when i travel i leave a little bit of my heart there uh, you know I, I become mm-hmm. attached in a way I didn't know I could um and it and it really does feel like that it's not a surface experience it's something so much deeper so there are fantastic ways of um just being more responsible that actually benefit you too and just you know increase your experience into some into another realm as well oh fantastic my favourite way of travelling is overlanding, actually, and I've done three overlanding tours in Africa, and I, I love flying to one destination 
and then making my way across a few countries and then flying out of another destination. And yeah. I do think overlanding, like you were saying before, it just it gives you lots of different adventures and you don't really know what to expect. And it's just so much more enriching than flying because you really get to immerse yourself within a country and you get to meet the locals more. And for me, I just think I have a better experience overlanding and and also finding out what you said about finding out about the culture before you go so that it's not such a culture shock and so that you don't make any faux pas when you're with local people and you're not offending them and not realizing that you're doing it as well. Absolutely, absolutely. And that kind of, kind of draws into cultural being more culturally sensitive, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. Um, it's, it's a part of going in with that open mind um, and... I guess leaving all judgments behind as well, understanding that you're going to a place that is different to what you know, and therefore, you know, way, ways of life will be different. And that's okay. Just to ask questions, get to know it. You know, what if you've done that research, even better, like you say, you won't be making faux pas without even realizing. But people are always so um, happy to talk about those sort of things to, to teach you. Um, so, ask questions don't be afraid to you know start a conversation with uh, local people and and show your interest because it it's just a way of showing respect I think it's it's showing that you are interested in the people that are hosting you and um that's a really beautiful thing it's it becomes this interaction it's not just about your experience in this place it's about their experience of having you there as well and that's I think that's where I would love to see travel sort of evolve to where it becomes this two-way thing, um, not just about the people traveling, but also the people who are hosting um, and both sides having this like really lovely, um, enriching experience of each other. Yeah, fantastic. So I always say that when you travel, especially when you travel solo, because I think your senses are more heightened and you're more vigilant anyway. But I always feel like you're an ambassador for your country, especially in regards to meeting different cultures. So I, I always say yes to new opportunities if it feels right. And it's just led me to some kind of beautiful experiences and, and exchanges, which to me is what travel is mainly about rather than the sightseeing. Absolutely. I completely agree. It's it's um, traveling solo is something I would recommend to anyone just at least once um because like you say you are you are just so much more um aware but also um absorbing of the things around you um just naturally because your senses are more focused and it's it's just such a wonderful thing to be able to do and it, it shows you how strong you can be as a person I think as well it's a very um liberating experience for for the individual traveler as well yeah definitely very empowering Oh, thank you so much for all of your tips. I love that your book is also a pocketbook, so it's quite easy to take it with you as well. And you've got external resources and easy to follow checklists in there. Is there anything else that you wanted to add about responsible travel or about your book? I don't think so. No, um, it's out now. Um, it's available. Um, obviously, it's available online and in bookshops. It can be ordered into any um, independent bookshops. And I'd love to. Um, say if you're going to buy it do buy it from an uh, independent bookshop (laughs) because obviously um yeah they they would appreciate that and that means so much to to 
uh, these uh, smaller retailers. So please do support your local bookshop. If you're looking for practical and actionable tips to help you become a more informed traveller, I definitely recommend getting a copy of The Responsible Traveller. So thank you so much, Karen, for joining me today. And I wish you every success in the future. Thank you very much, Lisa. I really appreciate you having me on. Thanks for listening to our Girl About the Globe podcast, making solo travel easier for you. Find everything that you need for your solo travels at girlaboutheglobe.com and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode.